Good evening, everyone. Two words for tonight, mercy and compassion. Why would I say mercy and compassion? Well, I wasn't supposed to teach tonight. Just found out, although I knew on Saturday there was a slight chance because Steve was sick and is sick that I might have to fill in. He was getting progressively better. So I did know a little bit on Saturday, and I thought, well, I'll prepare something. And as he told me he was feeling better, I thought this would be good. I said, let me know as soon as possible. And two hours ago, he told me he couldn't make it. So, uh, yes, <laughs> mercy and compassion is for me. <laughs> Amen, sister. Thank you. So then the Phillies game was on yesterday, and I thought, you know what? Maybe they'll have to bring this relief pitcher in, and it'll just be a great segue. I'm like, this is going to be great, Lord. Some pitcher's going to come in, and he's going to take over, and the Phillies are going to triumph. And I, no, it didn't happen because they put a whooping on that team. Uh, what's interesting is last week, I forget when, but early in the midweek, I was thinking, well, I don't know why, but what if, what if we come to church Wednesday and Pastor Eric steps up and says, hey, the guy that was supposed to teach is sick and can't make it. And I thought to myself, well, I'll just raise my hand and say, I'll, I'll do it. Because, you know, I love to teach on God's Word. And we have thoughts like those that come into our minds and, and, and leave, and you don't think anything of it. So then on Saturday, he tells me this. And I go, Eric, you'll never guess. So I start chuckling. I said, what is that? Uh, is that the Spirit of God working in us? Uh, we don't discount that. Uh, and then we hear about the prophetic series coming up, and I would never say that I have anything uh, like a prophetic gift, but you go, what do you do with that? The Holy Spirit is amazing. He works in us. He speaks through us. He, he puts impressions into our minds, and, and I just want to give God all the glory for that, because uh, it is amazing. Uh, and so as I'm preparing, I think of Luke 12, I was looking at the verse where Jesus is telling the disciples that when they bring you before the courts, context is, of course, different. Uh, don't be afraid about what you're going to say. Don't worry about what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit will speak for you and through you. And, and I believe that verse really means as we know God's Word and we're we're confident in God's word and we're students of God's word that he brings to remembrance what we already have. Not that, not that he can't do a, a, a miracle where you, you just don't know anything and he speaks, but he brings a lot to remembrance because, you know, sometimes we're going, what is that verse? What is that verse? Uh, so I can go, almost guarantee you won't be here for an hour tonight. Although my brother Glenn over here had a good suggestion, maybe we'll start at 1 Timothy 1 verse 1 and read to 1 Timothy 5, uh, but I think I would probably lose a lot of you in the doing of that, so we'll probably skip that, but it is a good suggestion. Another thought I uh, had, uh, actually Steve mentioned, mentioned this, recommended this. If anybody has any thoughts or questions on what we've covered so far, I know people are sometimes hesitant in group settings to speak up, but if anybody has any thoughts, any questions, uh, we could have a little dialogue on that. If, if anybody has anything to say, that's just a way to stretch it out a little bit, maybe. Or if not, we'll just rely completely on God to do this work. <laughs> let, me, let me pray then. Father, we thank you for who you are and how you work, and it's mysterious to us many ways. Uh, and Father, you know as I was preparing even tonight, praying at home, the, the thought of Moses and the people of Israel who were, were so thirsty and asking to be uh, given water to drink. And I know the comparison is vastly different, Father, but all Moses did was be faithful to your word, to follow what you told him to do, and you did the work. You are the one who nourished and fed your people. Uh, he didn't do it. He was just faithful to your command. So tonight, help us to be faithful. Help me to be faithful to your command, uh, to trust you and your promises that you will do the work and you will get the glory. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen. So, we're going to read 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 25, I hope. <laughs> that was a little joke there. I hope I got the verses right. Just kidding. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages." 
Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Verse 17 and 18, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So what is this double honor that the scripture speaks about? The word honor here means valuing, it means a price, or it could mean honor. It's the same word in Acts 4 where people were selling their goods and bringing their proceeds for proceeds to the church. And so lest we think that it means honor alone and not a salary for the being of pastors, it adds the two examples of the ox treading out the grain and the laborer who deserves to be paid for his wages. As you, What they're saying is when you, an ox works in the field, you don't put a muzzle on it because he's allowed to eat as he works for the work he's doing, and then the laborer deserves what he gets paid for. There are numbers of churches where pastors don't get paid and they have to hold another job. But the Bible is clear, pastors deserve to get paid for their efforts. Now sometimes this is not possible in small churches where they just can't make it work, uh, where budgets are tight, or even bigger churches where budgets are tight. This responsibility, though, falls on the congregation. And that's a serious consideration for all of us. The Bible is making a biblical command that pastors should be paid for their service. And so that is through us as the people of God to make sure that that happens or or try to make sure it happens. Uh, We all struggle in different ways. We all have bills. We all have things that we commit ourselves to. But we should all be really taking seriously this charge that pastors are to be paid for uh, what they do. And so do we see the implications behind this biblical command? And again, I'm not trying to be critical in any way, but we will all agree we can pour our money into all kinds of things. These things we think are important, and some of them are. The house, that might be bigger than we really need. The fancy car, that looks nice. Maybe we want to impress people with it. Endless sports programs for our kids, the list goes on and on. Do we see the importance of the church, though, at the forefront of our responsibility? As faithful as I try to be, I know that I can still do more. Nothing we have is really our own. We don't own anything. God has given it all to us, and we are stewards of what God has given us. First Chronicles 29 says, Riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and give strength to all. We praise you and thank you, God, for all that we have given is yours. So we are just returning to God what he has first given to us. Now, he understands that we have trials, and we may make mistakes and may buy things that uh, put us in a hole for a while, but he always wants us to try to be faithful. So again, no criticism for any, anybody, but we should be considering how this might work. I think when we first came to Green Tree, my wife Lori and I, was about 18 years ago, we actually came to faith at this church. Very bizarre when we first came here. Many of you can have that same a remembrance or example, and never knew what true faith was. I was about 42 when we came here. And what are these people doing? <laughs> right? Who are 
these people, raising their hands, worshiping. I wouldn't even have used the word worship back then. Uh, you make those silly jokes about not drinking the punch. Uh, don't know what this is, but uh, God actually drew us to this church uh, in a way that was so profound. Speaking of the Holy Spirit, I couldn't not come here. It, it was like a tractor beam that was pulling and pulling and pulling. On, and I don't think I knew anything about this church. I can't, I'm trying to remember that long ago, and as many times as I've told my testimony. I, don't, I know I didn't know anybody that went to this church. I probably wouldn't have even known what non-denominational meant. But I, we live about 10 minutes from here, and I just kept telling my wife, we have to go to that church. And it, that went on for weeks, maybe a few months, and it kept getting stronger and stronger and stronger until I said, we just have to go. So we, we came in, and this is a little sidebar, but as soon as we walked into this church, uh, my wife saw somebody that she had grown up with for years as a, as a kid, uh, and that was God's way of bringing us comfort, bringing us to this church. And she's like, what are you doing here? And he goes, I've been coming here for decades. So God, in his mercy and his, and his love and his grace, uh, brought immediately some comfort to her. And so we, we came here, and I remember one sermon, uh, one of the pastors talked about that book, The Treasure Principle. It was a very small, short book, uh, and many of you have probably read it, but I would greatly encourage you if you haven't. Real easy read. Uh, and the whole basis is we pay God first. And I remember thinking, all right, hon, if this is true, and we both talked about it, if this is true, how do we do it? We, we would give 1% of our income if we could. I remember thinking that. And because we did what you're supposed to do, you know, you try to put your bills and stuff on the paper. How, how do we even give 1%? What, is, what are they talking about? What is this? And as you all know, when God starts to work on your heart, oh, so good, isn't it? And maybe you don't see that on the front end. Wait, what is he doing? And you start to think, there's no way. Oh, wait a minute. Okay, well, let's see. Showtime, HBO, Cinematics. Yeah, I don't really need all those, do I? And whether we had them all or not. Okay, well, that's a hundred bucks, you know. Newspaper, there's nothing wrong with getting the newspaper, but I don't really need the newspaper. Okay, there's... $30 a month, Wawa, every day, hmm, not just a cup of coffee, is it? You go in there and you walk, if you walk out at less than $10, you're doing good. You go, that's, even if you only go during the week, that's 200 bucks a month. I go, okay, well, maybe I just go to every other day, or 7-Eleven, I don't want to be partial, because we're, one of our verses says, don't be, don't be partial, maybe it's 7-Eleven or Dunkin' Donuts, uh, and you go, okay, I, I can settle with every other day. I'm still treating myself. And little by little by little, God starts to whittle away. And you go, hmm, I really do have a little bit more disposable income than I thought I had. Look at, looky there. And you're like, this is something, Lord. And we all have stories. We could probably talk about it all, all night and laugh about how God has taken us in one direction, done something with us, it could be a promotion God does in our lives. It could be any number of things where as we are faithful, as I spoke about Moses, just following what God says to do. And tonight is a perfect example. I was praying. I'm like, God, this is on you. I'll be prepared. I'll do what I can in the short time. But if you want this to work, Lord, you got to do it. And I have no problem saying that in reverence and fear to God and, and saying, it's not about me. We're just vessels. We're just his instruments to be used for his glory and praise. Uh, and so fall flat on my face, Lord, or, or whatever, it, as long as the name of Jesus is glorified uh, and people go away thinking, God is so good. God is so good. That's all that matters. And so again, back to where we were, you know, as, we're, as God is whittling away and working in our lives, you go, wow, this, is, this really is important. And, and I think a lot of us would agree that the money is one aspect that we have a hard time parting with uh, because we think we need the other things we can do, but we really think we need to hold on to that. But again, God has said, here it is. What are you going to do with what I've given you? And we will, as the Bible says, give an account of everything we do. And it's not, again, it's not, you could have done better, Doug. You know, you could have done better. And so this is going to happen. It's never like that. Uh, God doesn't 
the, there's no judgment for the true born-again believer. We know that. There's no condemnation. Uh, it's not about that. It's not about, sorry, you, you just fell short of getting into my kingdom. It's nothing like that whatsoever. Uh, but God wants our hearts. He wants us to love him. He wants us to serve him. And just as you've heard me teach before, if you're here, that the trajectory of our thought and our mind is how can I serve the Lord? And as was preached recently, God remembers our sins no more. He, he puts them behind him as if they didn't even occur. And so when we fail, we get back up. We ask God, God, help me. Give me the strength to, to go forward. Show me what you would have me do. And he will as we are faithful and he will bless. And uh, it's such a beautiful thing. And so uh, I briefly remembered, uh, mentioned Acts 4, but here it is. Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. There's that word, proceeds. And laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. A man named Joseph sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And we can read that story and go, wow. But can we even imagine what that looked like? What that was like to live back then? Now, I want to be clear too, they didn't sell their way into poverty. God never asked you to sell your way into poverty. The text, it looks like it says that it was the abundance that they sold for God's kingdom. God's not asking anyone to sell their only house and all they have and then go live on the streets and ask the church to take care of them. I don't think we'll read that anywhere. Uh, God wants us to think about the excess we have and then use it for his glory. So again, some people take vows of poverty. Some people want to live as simply as they can, and that's a beautiful thing. It doesn't mean you can't have a nice house, nice cars, because the, uh, the Bible would speak of rich Christians. And if they are rich, they are to use what they have for God's glory. So again... I want you to leave here and say, i got to go sell everything I have. Uh, I think the parable of the rich fool speaks to this in Luke 12. Uh, I think we know it, but I'll read it. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to give the inheritance to me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. So he's speaking to his heart. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Why did it do that? Because of course God made it do that. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. See the pattern there? And I will say to my soul, soul, You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is is the one who lays up treasure for himself and not rich towards God. So again, he's storing up his things, not giving God the glory and the honor. I have some, let me build more so I can have more. Two-car garage, maybe I'll get four, and I'll put four cars in there. It all came from God. Deuteronomy says, beware lest you say, my power and the might of my hands have gotten me this wealth. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. So whatever we have, God has first given us the ability to get it. And we know sometimes God blesses people in higher positions and, and lower positions, but it all comes from God. And so we, again, the mindset of how do we live with the mindset of God? How do I live to give you the glory with all that I have? Or the parable of the rich young ruler in Mark 10. He asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We all know the answer. Go sell all that you have 
and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened, he was disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now you can go, well, Doug, here Jesus is saying, sell everything you have. So is there a contradiction? How do we balance that? But that's the end of the story. And I sometimes wonder in this story, if he had said, Lord, I will go sell everything that I have, and I will follow you. I wonder if Jesus would have said, that's all I wanted. That's enough. Keep what you have. Sell some of it and follow me. Because all I wanted was your heart. And a heart that says you would be willing to follow me. God doesn't need our money to fulfill his purposes and will. He does use our money, our things and our possessions for his kingdom. But he will also use them to test our hearts. What will I cling to? What will I think that I have to own? This is okay, Lord, but I have to get to this point. And again, there's a reality of life. As we get older, we don't want to be a burden to people. There's nothing wrong with an IRA. There's nothing wrong with saving up inheritance for your children. Uh, Those things are not unbiblical. Uh, But to what degree do we rest in the comfort of those things? And I know this church is very generous, extremely generous. And the, the construction project that we had over the last few years, you've heard Pastor Paul talk about just the amazing contributions of this church over and above what was needed. is, a, is an amazing example uh, of their generosity and faith, and the pastors are very grateful for that. But again, I think the Lord wants us to look at how we're living and, and Again, it's not about am I doing enough or, or a certain amount as if I'm doing works related. It's nothing like that whatsoever. Well, I can just do this. God will be happy. No. He loves us beyond measure if we're his, if we're born-again believers. Um, but he wants our hearts to always be thinking about him and his kingdom because there are people out there. This church supports missionaries. You heard on Sunday, uh, uh, Iman and Jess from Guatemala. And if you don't know anything about them, poor. I think they're Mayans that they treat. They help out in the, in the hills where people have to walk miles just to come. When she's talking about the milk clinic, they have to walk miles just to come to get milk. And then they try to sell the milk because they have nothing. They're, when they go to their homes, there's not even a home. It's a, it's a, the shed in our backyards is probably nicer than their homes. Just such poverty. And they work with that condition constantly, and they're funded in part by the generation, the generosity of this church. Uh, and we have mission partners all around the globe that we do that with, some local, Peter Eck in Atlantic City. Uh, we support him as, as best as we can, too, and that comes from the generosity of the church as we support, and we can do those things individually, too. We can support them individually outside of the, the giving that we do to our church. But we know there are some who may not be willing to let go of their money for the kingdom, And this is just uh, church-wide. Serving and volunteering are not a problem. I have no problem serving. It doesn't cost me anything. I can come in and help Doug Long this Saturday, get up a little earlier than I normally do. No problem. Uh, But giving generously, again, is not always so easy. Uh, And so, again, the point, I may be over-elaborating it, but it's just that God wants our hearts and just to be thinking about these things. Because if the command is that the pastors deserve their wages, we should all be asking, am I being faithful as I can, Lord? Ask the Lord to guide us and lead us, not necessarily a a dollar amount, uh, but to make that happen. And personally, I think one of our finances are one of the biggest areas where God will work to grow us in trust in him. Because we all, again, know when the balance sheet starts to look a little off and you're going, I don't know how it's going to happen, you have nowhere else to go but to trust the Lord. And as you do that, God, so God puts us in those situations. He puts us in the press, uh, and whether, whatever it is, it could be a relationship, it could be a job, it could be finances, it could be health. That's a big one, too. God puts us in the press, so to speak, because he wants us to continually rely on him. All those things are under his control and sovereignty. Nothing can happen to us that is in his will. And so there's, he wants us to grow in trust with him 
to love him and serve him as we should. Under the heading of robbing God, this is what we read in the Old Testament book of Malachi in chapter 3. For I, the Lord, do not change. There's the immutability of God. Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down a blessing until there is no more need. Now, we have to be careful not to overinterpret this verse, but the point is God promises to meet all of our needs, not our greeds. And he has made a promise to us, this is amazing, that comes in the form of testing him to see if he will be true to his word. That's the only place we can test God in. He says, test me, see if I am not true to my word. That's pretty amazing. So in verse 17, the word labor here is to toil or grow weary. Uh, talking about the, the preaching. It's the same word in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. In 1 Timothy 3, we, we learned a few weeks back that all the elders must be able to teach, but it is not mandatory. That's one of the qualifications, though. Some churches have elders that don't teach and more, might be focused more on administrative duties or other things. But praise God at Green Tree that we have pastors here that love the Lord, are dedicated to his word, and can faithfully preach God's word. And we see that regularly in and out. And it's labor. It's a lot of labor. I can tell you just when, when we teach up here as non-elders, Glenn, uh, myself, and others, for me, I probably put 20 hours in just for the preparation. Not this time. <laughs> but usually it's around 20 hours. I think Glenn would say the same, right? Close to that, maybe more. Because it is labor, and you want to be true to God's word, and it takes a lot of work. And, and so for the pastors, it's a huge task because their job is over their souls. Um, verse 19 and 20, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, this is talking about elders, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Now, if you know Matthew 18, it talks about the sins between Christians. If your brother sins against you, what do we do? We go and tell the brother or sister. Tell him his fault alone. So my brother Eric here, if he sins against me or I sin against him, his job is to come to me or my job is to go to him personally and privately. Brother, brother, if he listens to you, you have gained your brother back. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Over and done with. Hopefully we don't remember that sin anymore either. As, as God doesn't. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Brother, a couple of us saw this happen. We're, I'm not the only one. So now if he won't listen, a couple brothers comes with him. There's steps to that. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. So there's step process. The difference here in this verse is the status of the one in persistent sin. Just as pastors who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, so any who are in persistent sin cannot be handled the same way as someone in the congregation. Jumps right to that, tell it to the church. It must be brought out publicly to the church. And it has to be a serious charge. Can you believe the way Pastor Kyle spoke to me the other day? You heard, you heard him, right? I mean, I had some great suggestions for him, and he just blew me off. I mean, really, let's go admonish him publicly. That's not what we're talking about here. Or they won't follow my suggestion. Or he cut me off in traffic. I saw him talking on his cell phone while he was driving. That's, and you were in the car with me, right? I, I am going to stand up in church next Sunday, and he is going to get a verbal tongue lashing in front of the whole church, right? That is not what we're talking about here. Uh, we're talking about serious, persistent sins. Uh, and Paul may actually be alluding more to false teachers and the public admonishment for it, but it would apply to any persistent sin and serious sin. Uh, and we read, unfortunately, of pastors who have been in their office for decades. Uh, there's one, I won't say his name, but I think he passed away. World-renowned, sought-after. Uh, I don't say I know much about him other than hearing people talk about him. 
theologically strong from what I understand, passes away and they find out he was engaged in sexual immorality with, with multiple women. Uh, and you just shake your head at that because you, you don't know what to do with that. Uh, and all you can do is put that at God, to God and say, that's for God to deal with because I, I don't know what you do with that. Uh, but if something like that comes out, that has to be addressed immediately. And because the pastor, as we know, is, is the order of God, he speaks for God, he's the messenger of God, and if you've heard me again teach a couple times of the seriousness of the church and the pastor, it must be brought to the attention of the church. And again, why we need to be in prayer for our, our pastors. Every one of them would tell you, I'm a man, and I struggle with man things. Some struggle with these things, some struggle with these things. It could be any number of things. They're not immune from it. And again, as I said before, Satan is after them, after them, after them, because he would love to see a pastor fall from grace. And so we need to be praying for them uh, all the time that this wouldn't happen. The rest who would stand in fear here, the verse says, would first and foremost be the other elders, because as this happens publicly, there should be fear and, and awe of, wow, this is serious business, so we should probably be careful of our walk, right? But it would certainly apply to anyone in the congregation as a witness of sin being brought before them. The ultimate purpose here is restoration for the sin that has been committed and prevention for anyone who may be tempted in persistent sin. Uh, and we could probably all admit to having temptations to sins, even persistent sins. Oh, Lord, I need help there. Help me, Lord, help me. And to see something like that happen publicly, God is serious. God is serious about sin, even in his children. He won't be mocked. And we need to think about that. Verses 21 and 22, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Paul is stressing that there is a heavenly court that is watching over Timothy, and that he must follow God's words and commands. That goes for us too. Sometimes we can think what we do in private is not going to be seen by anybody, and that may be true for other people. But it's not true from God. He sees it all. And sometimes you might have heard the example of, well, what would you do if Jesus was sitting next to you? He is. <laughs> There's no what ifs. He is. He's right there. He sees it all. Uh, thankful. Speaking of mercy and compassion, uh, he is merciful and compassionate. He knows our frailties. He knows our weaknesses. Uh, and he wants us to come to them with it all and, and to rely on him and the strength of his spirit which is what sustains us and keeps us strong. Again, think of the Deuteronomy verse I read, the power and might of my hand is not going to keep us from sinning. It can help us to turn, right, when we make a conscious decision. No, 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 no. I'm, no, I, I get texts on these things every couple days. Uh, I know it's pornography. Uh, you know, sexy, hot babe wants to whatever, and I'm like, okay, sure. But it's just... All the time. I have to purposely delete that, right? And it's so easy to want to look at that. Let's see where my wife is. Oh, she's in the other room. <laughs> right? That's how easy it is. And once you pop that open, the algorithm is there. It's, it's going to start sending you all kinds of things. Uh, and it just draws you in little by little, right? I, I deserve to get a little peek. Right? Or any number of things we might, we might step into. And little by little is how we get drawn into those things. It usually doesn't happen with one giant step. And so we need to consciously turn from those things. Uh, every, what did I read one time? Every temptation is an opportunity to do good. In the sense that when we're tempted, we have the opportunity there to say, no, I won't. I won't engage in that. I won't turn to that. And by God's mercy, even when we do, sometimes he yanks us out of that because God can even keep us from sinning. We know stories in the Bible where God says, it was I who kept you from sinning. 
Uh, and sometimes he has to reveal things in our lives, uh, but he is good and he doesn't want that for us either. Uh, but yes, there is a part that we have to play to, to turn from those things. So how, how do we respond knowing that there is this heavenly court watching us? Always God sees us. How do I live my life for your glory? God, you know it's hard. He knows it's hard. And we will have to give an account of all those things, as I said. But this is where we need faith. We need strong faith. We need to come to the Lord. It still doesn't mean we won't fall. Again, pastors have fallen. People in the church, we all probably have stories of faithful people. And you hear, what? They did what? They separated because of what? I I can't believe that. Uh, And so it can happen. And we can take that casually, the the thought of engaging in these things, but God never does. Paul tells Timothy not to be quick in the laying of hands. Probably this means for those entering into service into the church. And we read a little bit about this laying of hands back in chapter 4 as Timothy entered in the ministry. For Paul to say not to take part in the sins of others and to keep himself pure infers again that the temptation is there to do it. He wouldn't give him this command to be careful if he didn't know what was out there. Uh, When we come to faith, we know our lives have been changed. Usually, for most of us, it means we lose most of our friends. Uh, I know I certainly did uh, because those friends were, none of them were based on the Lord. They're all based on other things. Uh, And you come and you lose most of your friends because they don't want what you want now. They don't want to talk about the Lord. They may say, I'll pray for you or or, amen, but they really don't care about Jesus. And we know that. And so little by little, we start to lose those contacts. Uh, That can be lonely. That can be lonely. Uh, But we know it is so good what Jesus has for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for some are ignorant of God. This is good for our children. That's good for us. Uh, It doesn't mean we're not in the world. It'd be crazy to say, No, I'm going to be a monk because God God tells me not to talk to any non-believers or sinful people, and the only way I can do that is to be a monk. I'm going to go into the hills, live by myself, and read my Bible all day. That is not Christianity, right? God says, be in the world, just don't be of the world. Because how else do sinners get called out of darkness? Uh, We are instruments of God. It's through the preaching of the word, Romans 10. Faith comes from hearing, so first and foremost, it is the setting of the church. Ergo, the, the seriousness of the church and why we need to be committed to a church and why it's important to invite people to church. But it can happen. Many of us have stories where we've talked to somebody and they've accepted the Lord in a conversation we had over coffee or wherever, whatever the situation was. And that's a beautiful, wonderful thing. Missionaries do it. It happens on the mission field all the time. They're not in formal, organized churches, those types of things, but they push them towards the church because that's, that's what they're called to be. And so God uses us. He will use us as his instruments to bring people to faith. And that's why being in the world, in a sense, is important. Otherwise, we'd probably have to quit our jobs, too, unless we work in, this chur- in a church uh, because there's, they're all around us. But you have opportunities to show the love of Christ, to witness. Our witness is our walk. Sometimes, uh, it's a saying, say, about be quiet or shut your lips and, and just walk with the Lord, and that will be more of a testimony than anything else because... It, it, Nothing greater than when someone comes up to you and says, can I just ask you a question? What are they going to ask? Something different about you. Anybody ever have that happen? You don't have to say yes, you can raise your hand. That's a quiet way, right? That's amazing. And you go, wow, really? And sometimes you can go, nah, come on, that's not really true. But you know it is because God has changed you and he's moved in your life. And they say, what is it about you? And the door just swings wide open. Like, this is what I've been praying for, an opportunity to witness. Now, Lord, just don't like mess it up by saying something dumb. Well, let me just tell you how God's worked in my life. That, that's what I usually find works best for me. You know, sometimes when we start out, we start out with pitting people. You're a sinner. You need the Lord. You're going to hell. 
All those things, right? People go, oh, well, look at the time. I got to get going. Uh, <clears throat> and we can do that. And we learn from that. But sometimes the best thing is to say, let me just tell you how God worked in my life. Let me tell you what he did to me. And, and recount our lives and talk about how I don't understand it. All I know is all God. And he's amazing. And when you reflect this glory of Christ to people, they see it. They can't help but see it. When your face lights up, when you're talking about the Lord, and, and it's almost, you almost giddy with, with laughter of how great God is. And they see that and they go, wow. Hey, you know what? Why don't you come to church with me? Listen, I, I'll save you a seat. We can sit together. Uh, and segue into, that's your evangelism 101. It doesn't have to be Billy Graham-esque. Uh, it doesn't have to be some great orator. Just casual conversation, being friendly, inviting somebody, welcome them to the church, sending out an invite. And, and you, know, you might get no a lot of times. I usually get no most of the time. But just to know that we're always trying and God is faithful. And many of those people we think slam the door on us could be in other churches right now that we don't even know about. And praise God when we get to heaven how nice it's, how, I think that's when it could be one of the greatest things and this is not about us, but how God works through us, is I don't know if God lets us know all these things that we're a part of. Uh, the book of Habakkuk says, uh, be astounded. I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. And that's the truth. We wouldn't believe it if, we, God, this doesn't, this seems like the right path. Why is it going on this path? This, but God, this seemed right. This, this is perfect. How come they're not in church? God's like, I got a great plan. Just trust me. Just keep doing what you're doing. Trust me with everything. And, and if he would show us those veins of how it works, I think we'll be mesmerized when we see the work that God has done through us. You go, you did that through me, God? How? Because I know myself. And God says, because you were just an instrument and I did the work. And it was always better if I did it this way. So that's just great stuff. 23, Paul tells Timothy to no longer drink only water, but to use a little wine for the sake of his stomach and his frequent ailments. Wine here, the same word in John 2, where Jesus turned water into wine. And Ephesians 5, where Paul says, don't get drunk with wine. So clearly, it means fermented wine and not just grape juice. <clears throat> there were some groups then, and, and even today, that are ascribed to not drinking any wine. Here, Paul is letting Timothy know it is perfectly fine. Uh, depends on how you were raised, what different churches, different teaching. Some would say the Bible is clear. You can't drink wine. That's, the Bible does not say that. Uh, there are reasons why some people would say that, because it can be destructive. It can tear families apart. It can ruin lives. It can do all kinds of things. And so I think sometimes the heart is there because of the dangers that drunkenness can lead to. But clearly, the Paul, uh, Paul says it's okay. And again, keeping in mind Ephesians 5, where it says we can't get drunk on wine, which would mean on any alcoholic beverage. Uh, this right to drink, though, does not give us a right to impose our rights on anyone else if it causes them to stumble or sin. Romans 14 says we can never put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Everything indeed is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. What this means is we can never say to a brother or sister who struggles with alcohol, too bad, I'm having a drink, and you'll just have to get over it. That's completely wrong. When we came to faith, we gave up our right to self-rule. When we came to faith, we said, I will live for another and not myself. When we came to faith, we made a vow to do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to consider others more significant than ourselves. And so when we're faced with these opportunities, if we're having a party, and we know a brother or sister struggles with alcohol? Oh, well, of course I want to invite my brother. Well, this might mean 
It's a non-alcoholic party. What? It's summertime. Crazy? For the sake of my brother or sister, I don't, we shouldn't care about that. We should, it's not about that. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit, Romans 14, 17. It's about loving our brothers and sisters, not about us and what we deserve. Oh, but I have a right. I worked hard all week. I deserve. Those words should never come out of our mouths, ever. Especially when it, it, it can be another brother or sister that we're, we're tempting, because then we are sinning if we make another brother stumble. And that, that goes for anything. Uh, it's not just wine. Whatever, whatever we do that could cause another brother to, or sister to stumble, we can be held accountable and it can be sinful. So we need to be careful there. Verse 24 to 25, the sins of some are conspicuous going before them into judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So of course some people's sins are conspicuous going before them into judgment. We see that all the time. We know bad people. We would call them bad, and they're, they're not on the right path because it's obvious in the way they live their lives. Some hide their sins better, like that pastor I talked about earlier. Again, uh, that's for God to deal with uh, where, what happens with him. Uh, but the sins of others appear later. That might mean later in this life. It might mean false teaching or that, that thread of false teaching is running through this series that Paul is speaking to Timothy about the, the, the church. And so these people that come in, and, and again, as I taught before, it's usually mixed with truth. It sounds good. Tickles our ears. It's what we want to hear. Prosperity gospel. Wow, that sounds pretty good. Just name it and claim it. That's all I have to do to get fill my barns and my storehouses. Whew. That's it. That's pretty good, Lord. I'm going to name it and claim it. And that's the teaching of some churches. I'm not sure where, but they say you can do that and God will do it because he has to, because you've asked him, and he will just fill your barns full. And <coughs> excuse me, that is nowhere to be found in the Scripture. I think that story I read is, is a, the sins of others appearing later. He's slowly building up what he has. My, 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 and it comes out. Uh, and we can even sadly see this in, in examples of pastors who have lived many years in the pulpit preaching and then have rejected the faith. Uh, it's sad. And, and we all have other personal examples, again, uh, that we know of or have heard of where these sins come out and you just go, I, I just can't believe that happened. That person? That, that's impossible. Second Timothy 3 says that some people have the appearance of godliness. Uh, and again, they look to look, they walk to walk, they talk to talk, but behind closed doors they're doing things that uh, really only God knows about. Uh, when I talked about the book of Jude a couple weeks ago, they're with us. They're hidden, hidden reefs with us. Uh, and so how do you discern? We're just careful, right? We're careful with people. We trust people. We love people. Again, I'm not saying we look at every brother and sister and say, oh my goodness, there's a, there a potential uh, false teacher or whatever. But uh, we listen to what God's word says. We're, we love people. We speak into people's lives. Maybe accountability is so important. So we can speak into people's lives, be, have open, honest conversations. Uh, and so these sins, they will be revealed in this life or one day when the person stands before God. Uh, and we know it's better to, if we're engaged in something that we know is, is wrong, to confess it and to repent of it. Uh, if we grieve a brother or sister, then it's hard, right? We do something against somebody is to go confess our sin to them even if they're not aware of it, uh, and just get that out in the open. Because once it's out in the open, it's over and done with, and God is glorified in, in the way things are done. Uh, as, as I just talk about it, I think about the Lord's Supper when we take that. You know, we know the verses on the Lord's Supper and how we're, we're not to come casually to that uh, ever. That's a serious ordinance, this, the Lord's Supper. It's a sacrament that God takes very seriously. And before I came to faith, for decades, I would have taken that just for the appearance of somebody saying, why aren't you taking that? You know, what's wrong with you? Uh, but God 
is very serious when you read those verses in Corinthians about sickness and even death. He's talking to believers, to believers in the church. Sickness and even death can happen to a believer if they take the communion inappropriately. Uh, and also want to say if you're sick, it doesn't mean that you're in sin, all right? Let's be careful there. And, and believers have passed away for sure, and it doesn't mean, oh, I wonder if they took the communion improperly, right? It's, that's not what that means either. But it's just a warning that we want, if we're engaged in something, we should not take it. We should not. If we come on a Sunday morning and there's something going on in our lives, we probably should defer and say, I'm not going to take it. I don't know how it's going to look if my wife doesn't take it. And I go, what happened, honey? How come you didn't take communion? That's going to be a little uncomfortable. But that's the seriousness of it. Or, you know what, I got to go, speaking of Eric, I got to go talk to my brother Eric first before this happens. Uh, Leave my gift at the altar, the Bible says, and, and go reconcile with my brother. And then come with a clean heart before the Lord. Because that's what God's word says. Good, 51 minutes. All right, well, that's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming, and I've been blessed tonight. (laughs) Thank you. Let me just pray again, Father. We stand in awe of who you are. You are glorious and good and worthy of everything that we can do, our lives, our hearts. Direct us, Father. Speak to us. You are so gracious and gentle with us, too. You know our weaknesses. You know all about us. You know more about us than we even know about ourselves. Lift us up as your people, Father. Your, your word gives us promises to be these people you call us to be, and we are desperate for your help. You never call us to do it on your own. You never say do it on your own. So we are coming to you asking Lead us and guide us by your spirit. Exalt Christ in our lives that we can live these lives. And let us just contemplate and think regularly of what your word says. And I don't want to say that we can be better Christians. That kind of puts it in a do good things category, Lord. But just help us to be faithful. We want to be faithful in all we do, Lord. And speak to us and direct us for your glory and praise. So we can do that and live the way your word says. Amen.